Special thanks to our newest sponsor. Berkeley Yeast, creators of the bioengineered yeast Tropics, which makes beer with insanely potent passion fruit and guava notes. I actually brewed with Tropics after we talked about it on episode 188, and the next day the brewery smelled like a guava orchard. Now, Berkeley Yeast just released Thiol Boost, which is a liquid thiol precursor that will take it to another level. Mention this podcast to get 15% off your next order. This is the Master Brewers Podcast, brought to you by the Master Brewers Association of the Americas, a volunteer organization dedicated to continually improving the products and processes of our membership since 1887. Master Brewers brings you interviews with the industry's best and brightest in brewing science, technology, and operations. This episode was made possible by the following sponsors. Discover more ways to enhance flavor and maximize beer yields with Salvo. Now available in varieties like Sultana, Trident, Lotus, Calypso, Cascade, and many more. Discover how Salvo can help boost your brew at hopsteiner.com. Additional support provided by... Every beer has a story, and that's why, for over 95 years, Gusmer Enterprises has offered a full line of solutions, including equipment, analytical instrumentation, and processing aids, all brought to you from leading suppliers and backed by strong technical support. For the solution to your story, go to gusmerbeer.com. And thanks also to Brew Ninja, a brewery software solution that streamlines your day-to-day operations, including inventory, accounting, sales, and compliance, so that you can focus on making great beer. Listeners of this podcast will receive a unique offer by going to GetBrewNinja.com and using the code BrewNinja21. What are the causes of fermentation slowing down after dry hops have been introduced? So on an on a industrial scale, we see this over and over. When we dry hop, there's an introduction of a free, free amino nitrogen as well as another, um, some other nitrogen components. This week on the show, a different perspective on dry hop creep. Hi, my name is Paul Klupp. I'm the quality manager at Great Central Brewing Company in Chicago, Illinois. You hypothesize that there might be more to the hop creep story than what's been reported thus far. Take us back to when this idea first formed. We probably started on this project, and we were actually looking at at something else. Um, we were interested in dry hopping, but um, I was looking at it. I wanted to see um, about uh, petite mutants, and I was kind of doing a study a study on that um, when I ran across uh, the free free amino nitrogen. When I saw that free amino nitrogen increased after dry hopping, um, uh, later on uh, I found that extremely interesting because I had never um, come across that before. Most of the, the, the papers and the books, you, you, you see um, things on um, uh, free amino nitrogen coming from malt. So I thought it was really interesting about hops. Um, and then that I did a little bit further investigation. And then that's when I saw the paper come out from um, UC Davis, probably in June of last year. And I was like, oh, wow, someone else has found <laughs> the same thing that I that I found out. Um, so it was kind of it was kind of interesting um, 
to to see that someone else had published uh, something that I was currently working on. Um, so that's kind of that's that's where it, it went it went about um, or it came about. Uh, I, I I did look at a, a lot of um, the different um, research coming coming out, and I guess intuitively I was there was something that was always sort of missing to me. Um, I, I was wondering how does the yeast really you know kind of play into play into it uh, and what's you know kind of what's affecting the yeast so that's that's uh kind of that's the background that's how I, I i kind of um that's how i got into it or started to do the investigation plus um we needed to look at it on a on an industrial industrial scale as well too if you look early in your paper you talk about how the enzymatic activity and fermentable sugars varied between the the different hop varieties uh, that that had been tested, I guess that was in the, I think that was the OSU uh, work. How did that play into this? How did that uh, affect your hypothesis or, or this idea to work on this? Yeah, I'd, I'd seen the work come out from um, Oregon State, and it, you know, very very interesting. Um, and also the the work uh, about the microflora. I know there's been a couple papers on that, and I, I guess. For me, I was always wondering, okay, um, you know, what type of enzymes, uh, you know, what activity would it be at, at temperatures, at a, a fermentation temperature? So that's one thing that was sort of um, curious. I was very curious about, uh, and as well as the the microflora paper as well too. I, I I was kind of looking for what, you know, what bacteria would be would be in there. Um, so I was always looking at. I was kind of thinking that and uh, wondering, you know, specifically, more specifically, what could be um, affecting dry hop creep? Fan metabolism is a bit more complicated, or should I say dynamic, compared to yeast metabolism of wort sugars. Why is that? In the brew house, all the enzymes are are deactivated. Um, and then the there there's a static amount of sugars present at that that point um when we dry hop uh the, there's an introduction of a free free amino nitrogen as well as another um some other uh nitrogen components such as yeast assimilable nitrogen which comprises of um, ammonia um and Urea, and in this case, we measured the amino acid arginine. So basically, a lot of the same stuff you'd find in a yeast nutrient. Uh, correct. Yeah. So these are um, that helps uh, uh, promote the fermentation at the beginning of the the, uh, the fermentation. Keep going. Talk about how that stuff is um, is actually metabolized. It's metabolized by. Um, by active diffusion, and uh, there's an enzyme called uh, general amino acid permease, uh, or known as GAP, and that's the uh, primary support mechanism for Saccharomyces, which um, takes up amino acids. Um, it's done in a non-specific manner. Uh, the important thing to 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 realize here is that a GAP is inhibited by ammonium ions. Um, and we do see once uh, hops are added, we see an increase in ammonia ions after dry hopping. So GAP is, is inhibited by ammonia ions. Um, 
And later on in the fermentation, as the ammonia ions are re reduced, the amino acid transport is it's, it's strongly inhibited by, by ethanol. Um, when there's sufficient ethanol has been produced, uh, the, the, the yeast membrane becomes permeable and allows protons in. Um, so subsequently, the, the, protein, the proton pump removes ex excessive protons, but to do so shuts down the, the amino acid transport mechanism. So this reduces the, the protons and the amino acid intake. Paul, the objective of your study was to figure out whether or not nitrogenous material in hops contributes to dry hop creep. So how and when does nitrogen end up in hops anyway? Um, so, uh, nitrogen or is, is absorbed um, from the soil. Um, it can be uh, it, it comes in the essentially basically from from the fertilizer in the form of ammonium nitrate or potassium nitrate. Um, uh, it's very at the beginning of the harvest. It's it's slow to to take up, but by um, by by the end of June, July of the harvest, it it, it increases. Most of the nitrogen is is uh, stored in the leaves uh, prior to dry matter production, and then it is transferred to cones. Paul, going back to your objective, what were the areas you needed to explore to answer the question, does nitrogen and hops contribute to dry hop creep? The two areas of interest were... Um, what are the causes of fermentation slowing down after dry hops have been introduced? So on an on a industrial scale, we see this over and over, um, uh, especially with uh, single dry hopped um, uh, beers, uh, that we see that the, the fermentation slow down after, after the dry hops uh, have been introduced. Um, some, in some cases, we think that the gravity is stabilized, and then after three or four days, we see a, another another decrease. So that that was kind of interesting. We were, I was wondering what was um, what was causing that. Uh, and then the second one is uh, the the subsequent over attenuation of fermentations. So um, in in a lab, we do a lot of force fermentations, um, and we compare the force fermentation result with the the final. AE um, or the final gravity, and we had been seeing um, that the force fermentations were were consistently higher than the the final final uh, gravity. So we were wondering what was causing that the the, the beer to over attenuate. Okay, walk us through the experiment. How did you set up all of this, and you know what did you test? Uh, so the first thing was to test just um, hops. Uh, in a, in water, um, just to see if we could if we could actually measure fan and and yan, and um, yeah, that was that was actually surprisingly pretty easy to do. It it came out um, really good. We got a good R squared on that, um, so we knew that we could actually measure fan and and yan, and it and that actually proved that they're directly coming from from hops. Um, we also looked at the the force fermentations as well too, so that gave us an idea of what we should expect um, at uh, what, what what the ending uh, gravity should be, um, and then we ran uh, fermentations on an industrial scale uh, at different uh, dosage uh, hop dosage rates. Um, uh, 
at uh, four different hop dosage rates. Uh, and in, in the paper, we actually included one that was double dry hopped, which um, behaves a little bit differently than a single dry hopped, um, which it, I thought well, was just interesting. Just give us some perspective. What were those dose rates roughly? Um, we did uh, five grams, uh, 4.5, sorry, five grams, 5.4, uh, 12.4, and 13.9 grams per liter. Do you know off the top of your head what that looks like in pounds per barrel? Because that's how most brewers are going to think. Um, so five is about is about one pound between one and one and a half pounds per okay. barrel. Um, and then twelve point four and thirteen point nine, we're looking at between um, three pounds and four and a half pounds. Uh, yeah, per barrel. Okay, awesome. Keep going. Um, so we. During the fermentations, we did. Uh, we just wanted to 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 kind of see if there what was happening. So we just did standard testing. Um, we did yeast cell counts. Uh, we did AE and alcohol, um, pH, uh, VDKs as well too, just to see if there was any any differences. We also did the en- enzymatic tests. So we did a free amino nitrogen and YAN. And the other one that is pretty important too is um, we did proteases. Um, to see what was happening um, to the yeast, or what was what, the, how much proteases the yeast was producing uh, during the fermentation, and we also did foam collapse um, because uh, one of the things that we did we did notice is that dry hop beer tends to have um, lower foam uh, collapse rates compared to to hop to uh, non dry hop beer. What happened as you increased the dry hop rate? Did more hops give you more fan? Um, yep. Um, as we in- increased it, we got, uh, uh, there, th- yeah, definitely the, the fan and the yan levels, um, in- increased in, in the, in the fermentations. Typical amounts that we saw were about between 40 and 70, um, milligrams per liter of fan. That's the, um, uh, additional beyond what you would have in a, in a control. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Okay. Coming up. So we add the dry hops um, to a vessel, pump it into the tank through the racking arm, and then recirculate it. Once we we did this, uh, we noticed an increase in, in proteases. I'm John Bryce, and you're listening to the Master Brewers Podcast from the Master Brewers Association of the Americas. There's really only one thing that keeps this podcast going, and that's when listeners like you take the time to thank our sponsors. The next time you talk to a rep from one of these companies, be sure to thank them for their generous support. Sponsored by BSG, exclusive distributors of Rar Malting Company, producers of quality malt since 1847. Is your Pilsner looking flat? Wishing you could show off a moose-like foam stand or looking to boost mouthfeel in a hazy? Then look no further because Rar Dextrin Malt is here to improve your beer. Bringing better body, improved haze formation, and stable foam, it's practically magic. Visit bsgcraftbrewing.com to learn how. Get to know Proximity Malt. 
We malt superior, European-style, low-protein varieties grown close to home in Delaware and Colorado. Domestically grown, precisely malted to style. With our team of seasoned experts and two brand new malt houses, try what's really new in malt. Check us out at www.proximitymalt.com. Positively impact your process, product, and profitability with actionable insights from BrewIQ, the industry-leading real-time fermentation monitoring solution. Visit www.precisionfermentation.com backslash MBAA to start saving time and money today. Shout out to Continental, a global supplier of brewery hoses. Their Extreme Flex Beverage Transfer Hose features pretzel-like flexibility for those tight bend connections. Raise a glass to its easy, clean cover with a finish almost as smooth as your beer. Click the link in the show notes to find a distributor near you. I really hope you listen to what I'm about to say because I'm spending my own money to say it. Most listeners think this podcast is my full-time job, but I actually spend most of my waking hours improving the Lupulin Exchange, which I launched in 2014. I hope that like this show, the exchange has been helpful to you. Would you do me a favor? Buy your next box of hops on the Lupulin Exchange and let me know how I can make the experience even better. I answer every support ticket personally, and I'd love to hear from you. And here's what's coming up on the Master Brewers calendar. Don't miss the Small Business Big Impact Master Brewers webinar, March 14th. District Rocky Mountain meets March 15th at Upslope Brewing in Boulder. District Milwaukee meets at Two Doors Down Brewing, March 16th. The multi-district event known as the Eastern Technical Conference is back. March 24th and 25th at the Atlantic Sands Hotel and Conference Center in Rehoboth Beach, Delaware. District Texas meets the same weekend, March 24th through the 26th, at the Holiday Inn in Richardson. District Eastern Canada meets in Montreal, March 29th. District Rocky Mountain is accepting applications for the newly formed Hoppy Grandma Scholarship until March 31st. The Hoppy Grandma Scholarship honors Carmen Duran by assisting brewers with the tuition of brewing courses to help advance their careers. Details can be found in the scholarship section of the District Rocky Mountain page on the Master Brewers website. District St. Louis is holding a yeast symposium April 20th. District Northwest meets in beautiful Hood River April 21st and 22nd. The Master Brewers Brewery Maintenance Systems course begins June 9th. The world famous Master Brewers Brewing and Malting Science course begins September 29th. The 2023 Master Brewers Conference will be October 6th through the 8th in Seattle, Washington. Check out the full calendar of events at mbaa.com for more details or to find a district meeting near you. Haven't joined Master Brewers? Now's the time. Just for listening to the Master Brewers podcast, become a member for $123 for the year. Head over to mbaa.com and use code BEER2023 when you join. Now back to the show. Talk about the relationship between fan and VDKs. What did you observe there? Um, for fan, we we saw that out of the um, we saw two of the dry hops, uh, the ones that w- was that was dosed at 5.0 and 12.4 grams per liter. Uh, those actually that uh, VDK level was was fairly low. 
Um, that was under uh, 50 parts per billion. Um, but the other ones uh, were a little bit higher than what we would, well, what we would consider our specification. Um, so the the 5.4 and the 13.9 uh, were both a little bit elevated. Patty Aaron and Shang Yin joined us five years ago on episode 129 to discuss fans' role in beer staling. Did you observe any differences in flavor stability during this experiment? Um, we we didn't, but we have. That's one thing that is of interest. Um, uh, that we we will we we are currently working on a study uh, where we will be able to to look at the different amino acid uh, concentrations. Um, of uh, comparing a uh, dry hop beer to a non-dry hop beer. So um, I'm hoping to, to collaborate with a, with a university um, and so we can, we can investigate that further. Is there a relationship between nitrogen and pH? Um, so this is, uh, that it's kind of uh, interesting as well too. Um, I'm currently working on a manuscript where kind of follows up from the work that we've done here. Um, and we actually induce uh, a forced fermentation with ammonia um, to sort of mimic uh, a, a dry hop. And um, we, I, we start, I think we did, we did a couple different yeast strains. Um, and uh, we, we do notice that, and, and we, we did it, one one set was done at the beginning, like at the beginning of the forced fermentation, and one was done in the middle of the forced fer- fermentation. Um, and um, there's definitely a, a correlation between increase in um, the amount of ammonia that we add. We added um, uh, to an increase in pH. Paul, it sounds like perhaps most dry hop charges might be accompanied by a bonus yeast nutrient addition, whether you want it or not. But most brewers would add yeast nutrient at the start of fermentation, whereas dry hopping typically occurs later in fermentation. Talk about that and how it all relates to fermentation slowdowns. Um, so it's uh, it it kind of goes back to um, the to gap. That when you introduce um, ammonia, um, in this case, it will will slow the, the ferment, fermentation down. Um, it, I, I guess the best example I can use, if I can use an example, is if if you're if, you have, if, if people have ever brewed a, a hard seltzer, it's it's nearly identically identical to that. That at a hard seltzer, you you always add some sugar, and then you would add uh, some yeast nutrient at the beginning. And if, if you've ever added it towards the end or to, towards the middle, then you'll notice that the fermentation will slow down. So it's, it's, um, the, the, the yeast nutrients and, uh, the fan and the yan, and in particular, the ammonia is what causes the, the fermentation, fermentation to slow down. And, and did you see that in these trials? Did, did these fermentations that had, uh, you know, bigger dry hops, did they slow down more as you added more hops? Um, they would, uh, they, I, I would, I would say that they probably, uh, I, I don't think it was a necessarily a function of, of how many, of how much we added, but it was definitely noticeable after, after we added that, that was slowly going, the fermentation was slowly, you know, kind of creeping along. The, the one thing that was kind of that was to note, which was really interesting, is that um, 
when we did the double dry hopped, we we added the first um, hop addition at 24 hours, and we didn't see the slowdown at at that one. That one just kind of progressed. Um, so that kind of indicates that adding it at the beginning of the fermentation wa- was okay, but when you add it towards end, like say 144 hours, once the gravity is pretty much near terminal, then you definitely see a decrease. All right. What do you want to say about yeast stress and dry hopping? Um, well, this was for me particularly interesting. Um, that uh, and and I and to note that the way that we dry hop may be different from how other people dry hop. Um, we do a recirculation through a pump, so we add the dry hops um, to a vessel, and then we re- we we basically pump it into the tank through the racking arm and then recirculate it. Um, and once we, we did this, uh, we noticed an increase in, in proteases. Um, uh, and we saw, saw that increase as well, too. And so one of the things that um, uh, specifically protonase A um, does is it, is it hydrolyzes hydrophobic polypeptides. Um, and hydrophobic polypeptides are the, the back, backbone of foam. Um, and, uh, that kind of correlated with what we, what we saw, where we saw a decrease in foam stability. So it's an area that, um, we are investigating currently with, um, with other study, with one of the other studies that we're doing, um, where we're actually measuring hydrophobic polypeptides and, um, seeing an increase in proteases and a decrease in, in hydrophobic polypeptides, which, uh, results in, in, in a for, poor foam stability. And it sounds like you're fairly convinced, or or at least hypothesized that the um, that most of that stress is coming from that the pumping and the the sheer force in that situation. Or are you speculating that the stresses um, might be more complicated than that, and you know might have to do with other factors? Um, f- from the current data that I've seen, I think it it definitely uh, correlates to. Uh, how how we dry hop, how our facility in particular dry hops. Um, uh, proteases will increase uh, due to stress, no matter no matter what. Um, um, it, especially like throughout throughout fermentation, and as the yeast is, is stressed, and uh, it, it will uh, it will it will definitely increase. But um, we for this particular one, we've seen it um, as soon as as soon as it was dry hopped uh, after. Okay. You see a big spike in the, in, the, in the excretion. Yep, yep, we do. Um, and we, even for the double dry hop one, we saw it go to a fairly high level. So that actually had, <laughs> that actually had higher proteases and um, probably the porous foam stability. And presumably double the amount of time pumping, right? Right, yep. All right, so what are the big takeaways here? Um, I think the big takeaways are that uh, there's probably a lot of, I think dry hop creep is, is pretty complicated. I, I think there's a number of things going, going on um, and a number of, of uh, different biological processes that, uh, that may be occurring that were not studied in here. Um, but from a lot of the, the the research that we've seen with with enzymes and um, um, microflora, it just seems like there's a there's a there's a 
a lot of different things going on. Um, I think it's also important to look at it separated and look at it in two different areas of um, what's causing the, the slowdown of the fermentation and um, what's actually causing the over attenuation. Because it might not be the same thing. Right. Um, yeah. I think from, from these results here, I would say that it's, it's two different things. Paul, you mentioned some limitations of this study in your paper. Do you want to talk about those? Um, so the, the limitations is we, we only were able to measure one, one amino acid. Um, uh, and that, that kind of, uh, I, I, I mean, it would, be, it would be advantageous to measure more amino acids, so it would give us a better understanding of, of a bigger picture. Um, and the, also the other thing, too, is that we, we were able to measure proteases, but there's other enzymes that may have not been studied or we, we might not even know of yet that may be, um, may be produced uh, during this, this process. So there's, a, there's, a, there's, um, there's definitely some more work to be done. Okay. Um, your TQ paper referenced several other publications that we've discussed on past episodes. Um, we've already mentioned a few of them. I'm wondering if you have any comments about how the results and conclusions from your study might tie into the findings of some of those other papers. Um, well, I, I think definitely uh, the 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 one from uh, UC Davis. I think that kind of uh, was kind of an interesting uh, paper that we had. Or, or interesting paper um, because it it uh, uh, we we both got very similar results. Um, also, the I think that the the paper about uh, fan and flavor impacts. I think that's um, that's I think that's definitely a topic worth um, investigating. Um, I mean, especially if 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 it's affecting shelf stability. I think that. Uh, I think that's an important topic. So what's, what's the next step for you other than some of the work that you've already mentioned? Um, so other than the, the work, uh, I think we're going to, one of the, one of the things that we, um, that my, my lab is kind of interested in is, is Manon. Um, so we're going to be uh, looking at that. Um, and uh, Manon is known as the unfilterable haze, <laughs> um, and it's something that I've been in, interested in a long time. Most of most of it because of research that I've done in the past with centrifuges and Manon um, sharing off of yeast cells uh, during centrifugation. Um, but I also want to look at it uh, in in hazy beers as well too. See if there's a correlation between um, yeast that has a lot of Manon on it uh, with 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 hazy beer. <laughs> That was Paul Klupp here on the Master Brewers Podcast. Check the show notes for a direct link to Paul's article in the Master Brewers Technical Quarterly to learn more. Are you enjoying the Master Brewers Podcast? Let me tell you about a simple way you can help us keep making more. Take a minute to thank our sponsors. There's no way we could produce this show without generous support from sponsors like Hopsteiner, Brew Ninja, Proximity Mall, BSG, Gussamer, and Precision Fermentation. So please, let them know you heard their message on the Master Brewers podcast and that you appreciate their support.
Thank you.